Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast. My name is Andrew Robertson, and today we are going to be continuing a discussion on author branding. This time we're going to be looking at artwork and the dreaded book cover. I'm joined by... I'm Bill Snyder, host of After Rot, writer of some poetic chef, and eater of many cookies. Hi there, I'm Monica S. Kubler, managing editor of Rumorg Magazine and author of the Blood Magic Saga. Hi, I'm Crystal Bork, author of the Book of Eve series. I'm Sefra Jerome, and I'm the Ontario chapter head of the Horror Writers Association. I'm the author of the Witch Upon a Star series, and I'm also working on a science fiction novel. So, in kicking this one off, everyone has ideas, and I think everyone, when they write a book, has an idea of what it's going to look like, how it's going to feel, what size it's going to be. Uh, you know, we, we all want the best for what we've written, but who should ultimately have control over what that packaging looks like? Dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't think it's a case of who should as, as so much as who does. Who does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because as much as authors, you know, would love to have control over their book covers, if you're working with a major imprint, chances are... It's the marketing division that's got the uh, control over your book cover. So it sort of depends on what level of publishing, what style of publishing your work is moving through. Yes, um, with my own experiences, uh, when I was working with Leisure Books, which I guess is considered small press, mid-list press, mass market, um, I actually was able to give input on what I thought I might like to see on the cover, and then I was presented with covers uh, to okay them or not, and I've liked all my covers from Leisure, and they did do all the things I suggested on my Leisure covers. However, um, I've heard that my experience might have been different from some other people's experiences over there, and I'm not sure why, but... Well, how much control should an author have? Because I think that when you look at any industry, you've got different people assigned to different roles for a reason. Um, you've got some companies where the graphic designer is also the content manager that's also writing the copy, uh, that's also determining, you know, what the company colors are and what the whole branding image is going to be. But can one person really be good at all of those things? So should the person that writes the book be the same person that chooses what the visual identity of the book is going to be? Well, when I was with Leisure, I was surprised that they even asked me my opinion because I thought they had special people that knew these things, and how do I know? Um, so I guess the marketing department, like, because I would present several ideas, and so I guess they pulled the most marketable ones, or maybe I presented them. I didn't draw them or anything. They got the artists to draw them. Back then, they actually did draw covers. And that was exciting that I got to say, oh, you know, for birds and the bees, I want like a dead bird with some bees around it. And they did that, and it looked cool. It was exactly how I envisioned it. But maybe that was, I don't know, because now the new cover is what someone else has envisioned. And now, moving to the present time, um, I re-released my leisure books with a company called Crossroad Press. And then he wanted me to actually pick the images from the Adobe files, which I did. So all my new re-releases, I designed those covers with 
the guy who designed, like, actually put them together. But I was the one who picked the pictures of those creepy women and all that stuff. Um, and I'm not sure I'm the best person for that job because I'm just a writer. And I would love for, like, artists to just go do their thing and make it better. Well, how much control do you think that you should have over the cover of your work? It's going to really depend on where it's being published. If you're self-publishing, it's all you. Or you hire somebody, or you get somebody, you put it all together. You're in a major market publisher. They're the ones making the most risk doing the sale of it afterwards. They have the control over it. But small parts publishing, you have a little bit more options to move in the middle. Uh, I've been fortunate that both of my books, I actually designed the covers and had artist friends do the work. Uh, and it just worked out the way I wanted them to. So that really depends on what area you're in. When I was uh, running Burning Effigy, my micropress, I always felt it was very important to get input from the author about potentially what sort of imagery they'd like to see on the cover or whether they had a clear vision for their cover. Uh, I always kind of considered, you know, the cover process was something that I worked with them and an artist. And the three of us worked together until we came up with something that we all felt represented the book and would sell the book and would be striking to the eye when, you know, you were at a book fair or at a convention. Um, and I always thought that author input was good because sometimes the author knows what element in their story is the most important to them and to their fan base, um, which I might have picked out a different element. Um, that said, I mean, I've been, I was roundly thrilled with all the Burning Effigy covers, except for a couple earlier ones where I was still learning, and still learning how much to give and how much to push back from author, push back with authors when they demanded too much control. But uh, by the end, it was, a, it was a great process, because, uh, you know, I'd say, what kind of imagery do you want on your cover? And then they'd come and they'd give me, I'd say, give me three or four suggestions. And then I'd jump onto, you know, the stock photography sites that we were either affiliated with, uh, you know, that we had accounts with, and I'd look for something appropriate, or I'd reach out to one of our graphic designers that we worked with and said, I need an original image that is something like this, and they'd do a couple mock-ups. And then, you know, once again, it would not come, only come across my desk, but it, I'd send it on to, off to the author, and we'd have a conversation about it. And, you know, I think that I think that when the books came out, because the authors had such good input on the covers, as well as, you know, everyone signing off on the interior before it came out, that they were really proud to promote them and proud to show those covers off because they were part of the process and they really believed in the covers we ended up sticking on them. Yeah, I think that's very important because I always was more excited about books where I had input, whether I deserved it or not or think I should have or not. Um, but like you said, you, they, you do present several ideas and then like you, yourself, as the person in charge of effigy you would decide oh well that's not a great marketing idea but oh this makes sense so let's more, go down this road more for or, me it was what would visually work what we could do within our budget we were a micro press so we didn't have a huge budget for covers so you know it's like i couldn't afford to you know pay for like a 500 hundred dollar illustration for a chapbook that's ridiculous yeah. so you know we had to manage our expectations a little bit but I was always willing to, you know, shell out for some really nice stock art and then have it manipulated mm -hmm. by a proper artist if we needed additional manipulation. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it is true. As much as people say, you know, don't judge a book, don't by, judge a book by a cover. Every, everybody <laughs> judges books by their cover. Let's, let's be honest. I bought terrible books based on their cover. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know. So it's like all that money should just have gone to the marketing department or the <laughs> art department because it wasn't the author. 
And then there's... I'm not going to say any names. <laughs> <laughs> We're nice on this podcast. Right now. Right, right now. now. Mostly. Wait, wait a year. Um, <laughs> but then I had, I had the experience, we'll probably talk about that anyways, but I'll talk about it right now, where the cover of the book had nothing to do with... <laughs> What was oh yeah, that, that's a I had no, I had no uh, input on that that particular cover. I did a couple of books with uh, Vivid Video, uh, which was through Blue Thunder, and we didn't know what these books were. So yeah. sorry, like the porno company. The porno there? company. Yeah, I did two porn books. Oh right. Hashtag so, Vivid. <laughs> vivid girls. <laughs> so one was one was called Vamp. And it was a, and it was written from the point of view of a man who was in love with Savannah Sampson, who's one of the porn stars I was assigned, and, and he goes to a haunted house and all that. The cover of that book isn't too bad. It's just Savannah Sampson like looking sexy on the cover. But the other book that I wrote, The Lust Ranch, um, which was like Fantasy Island combined okay. with this is news Saturday. to me. I yeah, thought I knew yeah. all the books that you wrote. <laughs> is this, un- is this under a nom de plume? <laughs> no, they're actually under my names. They were supposed to be under a nom de plume. Then they put my real names on. I was like, oh my god, people! Oh, no. what, and would, yet what would your nom de plume be? Like lusty tunnels? Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's the next one. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so the Lust Ranch. They put, like, the cover was something, I don't even remember now, like, this, it was Sunrise Adams was the person. But then you open, and you know how, like, on the inside of the cover, I know you can all see me waving my hands and visualizing for you. Um, when you turn the cover page, and on the inside of that cover was a picture of Sunrise Adams in a cheerleader outfit. And there's no cheerleading in my book. It's a ghost story on a ranch. There's no freaking basketball games or whatever. And yeah, that wasn't one of the fantasies. But so that was like okay, um, yeah, it had nothing to do with ghosts or anything. I was just a cheerleader. So I was gonna ask what what makes you know what elements would make a good cover for you. Obviously, one of them is not having the main character presented in a uniform in a situation that has nothing to do with the book. Um, but instead, let's just jump right to the question. What do you do if you hate it? What if you're presented with artwork that you hate? And I, I know that some of you may not have been presented with that situation, but you may know people that have been. Well, what do you do when the art department shows you something and you're like, this is awful? I have sent things back before. And yeah, and again, I've been very lucky, and I don't know if it's just because of who I worked with or... Um, my personality or whatever, I, you know, because I wasn't a total asshole, like, this fucking sucks. But I was just like, uh, uh, is there anything else you can show me? Or, you know, we got lots of time. Like, you know, I just was very nice. And they, I can't remember which book it was. It happened a couple of times where I'm like, no, hells no, you're not having that. And they changed it. <laughs> but then, but then I had one situation and that's with Sam Hain. Um, I love all my book covers with Sam Hain, but with Captured Souls, um, you know, it's beautiful picture. It's like a woman floating in water or whatever. But, and I know my editor, Don Doria, was so excited about this cover. And he loved it so much. And I liked it too, but to me, it didn't reflect what the book was about. And to this day, it's one of the worst selling novellas or novels or books I've ever done, including those porn books, um, that it, it just doesn't sell. And I think it's because it's not a compelling, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect what the story's about. The story's a horror story. It's a torture story. It's a body horror story. Uh, it's a mad scientist story. But it looks like a science fiction story. Mm-hmm. Um, and though it, it has elements of science fiction, for those who have read it, um, plus the woman on the cover, I'm not sure who she's supposed to be because the mad scientist, that wouldn't be her because that didn't really happen to her. 
but if it's the third specimen who is a woman, um, the third specimen's uh, African American woman and the yeah, woman on the say, cover. Isn't she black? Because that woman's yeah. very white and blonde. Yeah, and so the woman <laughs> floating in the tank isn't, you know, the Beyonce girl. It's some white woman in a tank with blonde hair. Yeah, you got some um, room for a sequel there. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's the thing. So so it's not like I hate the cover. And I like the cover, but it, the cover just isn't what the book is, and I was sort of trapped in a thing where I couldn't really change it. Um, to, so that's my sort of that experience, and I still don't really know what to do. Well, that, that, to do. that actually leads us right into another sort of interesting author dilemma. Should you allow an artist to create renditions of your characters for either the cover or interior artwork or promotional artwork, or is that something better left to the reader to determine what your characters are supposed to look like? Because I think there's there's an argument for both, but I'm just wondering what you think about that. I did artist renditioning renditions for my my serial for books one and three. They're the two main characters, respectively. Um, for the web versions. Interestingly, now that those books are moving towards print, I'm having the same artist redo the covers and make them not images of the people and more stylized images of the core ideas in each of those images. So image one was a girl with a shackled to a wall with two vampire fang marks on her arm. And for the book cover of that, it's being redone, so it really solely focuses in on the hand and the shackle and the vampire fang marks and removes the actual girl image from it. And that was simply, well, one, one reason was to separate the serial versions from the eventual novel versions. And the other was just, I'm a little bit personally bored of characters on the front of YA books. Like, because I feel that's like a thing that we constantly do, that it's constantly done with YA. It's like, here's, here's your, your heroine or your yeah. hero. So I decided to go with kind of a more, the more stylized YA covers, which I really like. So, but I mean, like I said, I, I originally went for the characters and I don't think it did me any disservice. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, you're describing the characters in the book so the you know the readers are going to have a rough idea of what they look like unless they're going to ignore your descriptions entirely and put their own picture in their head. So I didn't find I didn't no readers really complained about the covers. There were a couple that there were a couple that felt they were a little dark, but I was like the books a little dark. So <laughs> you know I, I, I am, it's not going to be sunshine they, they and puppies because that's going to be you know sunshine and puppies is going to be not what you're finding inside the cover. So you know I, I don't want to be. You know, mis-selling my book because then I think you're going to get disappointed readers who are expecting one thing and getting something very, very different. Have you considered changing the content to suit those criticisms? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, like with my Witch Upon a Star series, since it's more focused on romance and it's angled as romance, they do have the characters on the covers. And I've been finding that process interesting because, again, the, the artist works directly with me. And he, he actually, I think, did the Captured Souls cover that we were talking about, too, with Sam Hain. But So it's been interesting to me, um, as these books are coming out, that I'm picking out these... Well, he picks them first, and then I tell them whether they suit or not. 
because I give them the full description. Oh, you know, this one has blue eyes and she's this and that and blah, blah, blah. So I have several of them out now. And then when I put all the little pictures together, I'm like, oh, there's my coven forming. And I'm kind of excited to see what all 13 or 12 women plus the 13th will look like when I have all the covers together. So that, that's kind of neat for me, just vanity, uh, you know, my own ego, uh, looking at these women coming to life on these covers. Um, when a couple of the books were previously published by Ravenous Romance, and on those books they had both people, you know, the, the witch and the love interest on the cover. They had the man and the woman on all those covers, so you could see that sexual tension or whatever. But, they, they, but you know, these books are more horror than romance, so it was... I don't know. That might be one reason. But I think it's less traditional um, to have just the protagonist on the cover for something deemed as paranormal horror romance genre uh, than to have both of them, you know, where he's, like, sweeping her up, but she could mm-hmm. just, like, you know, cast a spell and kick his ass. And <laughs> yeah. They're gorgeous covers. I don't know. For a long time, there was that one pose that you constantly saw on paranormal covers, and I'm going to do it here. No one's going to see it, but it was, like, a woman oh, yeah. with her hands on her hips kind of looking oh, over yeah. back, sometimes <laughs> holding a weapon of some sort. And you guys are all laughing because you know exactly that book cover. And there was, a, there was a stretch there where it was like all variations on the, the strong, you know, powerful chick on the cover, all kind of not facing the camera, looking over the shoulder. It was, just, it was a very bad trend yeah, for a while. Like the, it's like the, it's catching up to me. Like, what? what is it? What are you looking for? And it didn't even matter if that was substantial to the storyline. She was just... Checking over her shoulder, just in case. <laughs> now, Crystal, Changing tell me about your cover because your oh, yes. your cover for for Eve's um, Revenge is very specific, Eve's, actually, Eve's and return. does. Sorry, sorry, Eve's, Eve's return. return. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so I'm self published. So, um, I basically went to the bookstore, and the book is is. A bit older than young adult, I guess new adult would be the new genre that kind of fits um, what the book and the series is for. I went to the bookstore and I kind of looked at all the books in the genre, and of course it's the single, you know, the the heroine sort of standing, um, a picture of a person kind of focused. Um, So what I did was I went on um, DeviantArt and I started just looking at different artists um, and I found a young artist in Montreal, actually, which happened to be a fluke, but I loved it because she was Canadian, um, Jessica Allen. And basically, she'll take an image of a person and kind of turn it into uh, the image that you want. So I employed the help of my younger sister, who I'm, I love dearly, and she agreed to be the model for my book cover. Um, and... It worked out well. I have the second book cover kind of put together, um, but now uh, my younger sister is pregnant, so <laughs> I don't know how well it's going to work out for a subsequent uh, novels, just because um, she her her lifestyle might be a bit different than what I'm looking for for the image. Um, so, so you're not speak. just going to have it like Coronation Street where she's like <laughs> carrying a shopping bag? Just put a shopping bag right in front, <laughs> have some demons around her, it's great, it's fantastic. Like demon-covered luggage, she's <laughs> just holding at a really awkward yeah. angle. Um, that and, was very thoughtless of her, did she yeah, think about you before I, she got pregnant? I questioned her thoroughly, and <laughs> it didn't go well for me. Um, but, uh, you know, another thing I found is that presented, uh, on, on, uh, Amazon, the little thumbnail looks really great. 
the book um, looks great as well, but when I, I'm usually there with the books and I often get confused for my sister. And then I look just really self-centered because people are like, oh, you put yourself on your book cover as a heroine. Are you in this story? No, it's not. It's my a, autobiography. It's my, it's my nonfiction autobiography of my life. Um, so that's been sort of, um, long story short, all of those things kind of are making me rethink uh, my covers. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for the, the third book, um, but that is... You know, we'll, we'll leave it up to when I actually get around to writing the third book of what I do for the covers, but that's the story behind my self-published cover and my decision to do what I did. Now, let's, let's talk a bit more about self-publishing for this, because there are a lot of people that are self-publishing out there. What should you expect in terms of, of costs, of labor, of involvement when you're creating your own cover, and how much control should you give to the person that's creating the cover for you? Um, I guess I mean like faith in their capacity to to come up with something for you um, in, instead of cutting corners. Because I feel that with a lot of self-publishing, you look, you know, you scroll through the books and you think, Jesus, yeah. you're a designer. <laughs> and your cover's gorgeous. Thank so Thank what, what steps should people take to kind of ensure that they have a viable product at the end because I mean this is something that's going to be printed in someone's house that they're going to be looking yeah, at. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, overall I'm super happy with my covers and what I've I've got uh, done and with anything that you do as an indie writer, there're going to be people who love it and I've gotten people like comments from people who love it and comments from people who were like I hated the cover but, you know, book wasn't bad basically. So, um, you do really have to know what you want I think for the cover because there's nobody else who's going to do it for you um, Jessica was very reasonably priced um, I know authors who have gotten I think it's something like $500 for a book cover but I paid much less than that because my budget was smaller um, and I also got sort of all the rights to the photo as well I made sure that when I got it, it was mine. It did belong to me. That's and very that, important. It, that I don't have to pay um, royalties on on the picture because obviously, if I don't own it, I would have to pay her some royalties. Um, and it was actually a really interesting process because I was the first book cover that she had done. So she did the thumbnail image. It turned out gorgeous, but when it came to the um, book jacket, it was a bit of a different story. But I mean. We sort of worked together. I found a template for her because Amazon gives you the templates. And then she just figured it out and it worked. And it was, you know, you get somebody who's who's kind of, um, you know, kind of tech savvy and knows how to fill in stuff for, um, what is it called? Photoshop pretty much solves that problem. Um, so, I, I mean, it took a lot of hours to find her. Um, and it took a lot of kind of back and forth about what I wanted um, she would send back kind of a sample or an example and she did pretty much nail it in the first kind of shot I think there was only a couple of tweaks and changes that I made just like the, the hair color and then the color of the clothing that um, the girl wears on the front um, so I mean you can kind of tell in your correspondence with these people whether or not they're going to be a good fit for you and your book and what you're looking for um, always ask for a sample 
and make sure that there's some sort of, you know, if I don't like it, I don't have to pay you, or I pay you a particular amount and you only get the full amount when I'm happy with the, the cover. You don't want to pay the full $500 and then get back something that you're not I think that's with. totally fair. Because yeah, When I write absolutely. speeches for people, they get half a speech uh, with the deposit, and if they want me to finish then I get the rest, and right. they get the rest of the speech. I mean, it's totally fair. It's a business yep. relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are a lot of uh, horror uh, book cover people, like Keelan Patrick Burke comes to mind. Scott Carpenter is the one who's doing the Witch Upon a Star series with me and did work for Sam Hain. I'm not sure if he still is or what's happening over there. And uh, Lynn Hansen, has done, uh, she also does filmmaker. Um, she's a filmmaker, but she also does beautiful book covers. She just did one for Pete Atkins. So there are people that are in our genre who do this, and they are affordable, and they know exactly, mm-hmm. you know, um, what marks to hit on, you know, what our genre wants. Whereas if you go to, you know, like you, like you did on DeviantArt, then you have to explain the horror genre and so on. Like, I don't know how your specific experience was with that, but certainly there are people in our field. And if you belong to the Horror Writers Association, uh, you know, you can go on and just scream out, hey, I need a book cover artist, and you'll get like a thousand people coming back. But also, if you want to do it yourself... Um, there are, as, you, as uh, Crystal mentioned, there, there are templates on CreateSpace and Amazon and Smashwords uh, where you just throw in the pictures, throw in the words. Um, and even uh, on Amazon, they even will provide you with stock pictures if you want. But you can go to uh, like the Adobe or I use Dreamtime myself for uh, photos that I've purchased. But I'm still going to get, you know, all my self-published book covers look shitty. A lot of them are under my pen name. Um, but it's free for me. I didn't have the money, even 50 bucks, to pay a friend to make it good. So all mine are shitty of my self-published stuff. But you can do it for free. And I, I do suggest if you're going to do it for free with the templates, just put words. Try not to screw around with pictures and graphics. and Because it, uh, some of mine are such a mess. And even though I've changed the covers since, they still come up when you Google. It's like, no, that cover doesn't exist anymore. It's horrible. <laughs> well, that's what we were talking about in the previous podcast. You put a bad picture of yourself out there, it may turn up as the first search results. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, covers that you hate. Oh, I just wanted to add something to that. Oh, last sorry. Thing. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I wanted to say that if you at all can, like, really put a bit of a budget aside for your cover because it's so important. It's going to go out to, even if it's self-published and you want to send it out to reviewers, you know, a reviewer is going to look at that cover and it, that's going to be a big part of their decision about whether they review it. And that's whether it's a magazine or just a book blogger. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, if you are not a graphic designer, don't go crazy with the graphics, which is going to lead into your next question. Because I've seen as as <laughs> Three the books fonts is too many as the books editor <laughs> of Rue Morgue, I've seen some truly atrocious book covers. I've seen book covers with three tangentially related pieces of clip art on a white background pixelated because they obviously weren't the right DPI for, for print um, and you know that's just one of them and 
let me tell you that when you send something like that into a magazine, it's really hard for the people who work at the magazine because it's even if it's the best story in the world in between those pages, we got to print your book cover in our magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's pixelated to begin with, just think how it's going to look when it gets <laughs> when it gets in there. <laughs> it's like the magazine should not have to scan the about the author page and print that as the cover of the book. It's not right. <laughs> so you know, I was going to if you're if you're really hard up, you can find some. There's some free stock image sites, yep. and you can find some very nice stock images with a little bit of you know dark space on them, or you can. Choose a font and put a title and, you know, put a title in your author name. Just don't go crazy with the graphic design if you're not a graphic designer or you don't have an eye for it or you don't know what the words DPI mean, what the, what the uh, acronym DPI means. Most well, people uh, think that DPI has to do with porno, but it doesn't. No. It really does not. Um, and then, yeah, now since self-publishing is such a big thing, you can find actual websites where they have pre-made book covers. Yeah. But Which I, I think, like... Like anything else with self-publishing, ask around. There's so many communities that you can Research. ask for. Research. Fire. Because there are a lot of sites out there that do take advantage of authors. Yeah. So There are also those sites where I've seen them where they have like, they pre-designed book covers where you insert your author yes. name and your yeah. title. Yeah. And you know, some of them are not hideous. And if yeah. you've only got 50 bucks to drop, Absolutely. you can get something, yeah. you can get something that's passable, yeah. you know, to, to put, to slap on your self-published book. But to your point, if something looks pixelated at home and you think, no, it's okay. It's not that pixelated. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not. It's not ever going to be okay. Because it looks sh- kind of shitty on your computer yeah. and you think, no, people won't notice. They will. Oh, you yeah. don't want your book yeah. cover to look like Minecraft no. props. If you have that <laughs> moment of doubt, like that moment of doubt, don't hit publish. Just like, does this look shitty? <laughs> Ask your friend that doesn't really like you. They'll tell you. It looks shitty. <laughs> That was actually the inspiration for this show. I, <laughs> I bought a bunch of books from Amazon from various different writers that I wanted to get to know. And the cross-section of covers that you get, um, and some of them are actually specific to certain publishing houses that think that they've come across a look for their books. And one of them that I'm not going to name, um, I will call Crayola Folk Art. All of their <laughs> covers... <laughs> all of their covers are sort of like pink and red scribbles with lots of like spooky trees and just so much too much texture of a crayon variety and they're up and coming and they're doing great they don't need me to tell me about their marketing but (laughs) it's sometimes a look isn't that great so what have you seen out there in terms and I'm not asking for specific books because we don't want to slag anyone uh, unless you want to I don't care we have an explicit warning on this. <laughs> what do you see about books that, that you've been hating in terms of the cover art? I, I will start. <laughs> One thing I don't need to see anymore is a split face on a glossy cover where it's the normal scared face on one side and the melting skull on the other side. Can we stop with that? Like, unless it's Killer Clowns from Outer Space sequels, what are we doing there? It's not... To me, that it's not creative and it's not scary. I want something a little bit more um, sophisticated or sexy. I I don't know. Like I'm not as bothered by book covers. I mean, if it's pixelated and 
it just looks like somebody, you know, again, had the, does this look shitty? Publish. Then, I did this in work. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> then, then those, I wouldn't read them. However, if I'm more about reviews, if the book gets amazing reviews, then I, you know, I'll, I'll read it. Um, if I'm, and I buy most of my books on Amazon as well. So again, I find that the uh, smaller image sometimes looks better because it's just a, a smaller image. Um, again, I really, I prefer illustrated book covers, I guess. I guess I'm old fashioned that way. Um, or like animated in some sort of fashion, which is what I kind of went with with my cover. But again, it's not a huge factor on my decision to buy a book. I'm sticking with poor design decisions. Uh, right up there with pixelated artists, something else I see in a lot of self-published uh, was designed by a friend or designed at home sort of covers where we have, let's say, three different images sort of overlapping. Some of them are pop a little bit transparent in places to allow other... But it doesn't look like anything coherent. It's just like sort they of, just found the transparency too. Yeah, it's just they, they just yeah. Yeah. everyone it's was like, stoned. It blew their mind. It really feels like it. here's a miasma <laughs> of poorly designed imagery from within the book, and then usually there is some sort of really kind of oppressive font thrown over top of it. But uh, yeah, like a lot of a lot of people, I get the impression that you know they're like, oh, it can't be that hard to design a book cover. And it really, really is. So I would just say, you know, it's just bad design. And I think, you know, if you go into a bookstore and you look at the stuff, like, that's what I'd say to anyone. Go into a bookstore. If you're going to self-publish a book, go into a bookstore. Go into the section of the genre that's most like what you write. And look at those book covers. You're going to want something that would stand amongst them. That's, it's interesting that you say that because I was in a bookstore preparing for this episode of our show, and one of my questions was going to be, um, gore versus mystery. How much gore should be on the cover versus mystery based on the title and some kind of image that you can put on there that alludes to something but not a lot. Like, I'm going to say it depends on shines. how gory the story is. Because if you're yeah. gory, your story is really gory and splattery, you want your cover to Reflect. sell that because there's a certain type of reader who's looking for a gory, splattery story. And, you know, they're going to look at the cover and they're going to go, ah, yes. Yeah, because I'm thinking of the difference between, like, the Six sick Things series uh, that Cheryl Molyneux, I believe her name is, puts out. And they're all very explicitly gory, body organs, blood, bloodshot, splattery sort of covers. Versus a lot of Stephen King's books where you've got part of a car. <laughs> and that, you know, it's, it's interesting because then you've got this bit of a car and it's called Christine and it's going to be terrifying, but the cover wouldn't necessarily buy that to you. But, yeah. Steve, but Stephen what King is really mainstream and I would say that, you know, Stephen King's horror is definitely scary and whatnot. But I don't think it's like pushing any great genre boundaries that gory, no. splattery stuff yeah, would. No. So, you know, I, I, I totally get his marketing department because he's he's a mainstream horror author. He's got to appeal to, you know, the 65-year-old grandmas who like to read, who like to read scary stories. You know, he's not, he's not a splatterpunk. 
He's not an extreme horror writer. He's not trying to sell that kind of horror. So, of course, your book covers have to match kind of the horror you're trying to sell and the audience you're trying to sell them to. I think that's a really fair comment. Um, one thing I will say about that in terms of visual identity of authors, the first time that I watched Stranger Things and the titling came across, <laughs> I looked at it and I said, Stephen King. It was a Stephen King font. It was a Stephen King jacket cover, like a, mm-hmm. a dust jacket. And it was supposed right to be. There. And it, was, and it yeah. was supposed to be. But you look at the imagery associated with it, a couple of kids on bikes, one frightened looking kid, some ominous lighting in the background, and you get the whole identity of that without any sort of gore or horror or splatter. Um, so I think that that's, that really may be an argument for having the art department behind you when you can have them there. But I'm going to also say that there shouldn't have been any gore in that because there's no gore in Stranger Things. If you've watched the whole thing from beginning to end, it's very... You haven't watched it. No, it was a lot tamer than I thought. It's very tame. Like, I wouldn't put something gory as a promo art for that because there's very little gore. I mean, there's... There's some disturbing imagery, but gore itself or extreme violence? No, not at all. No, a lot of people have compared it to E.T., but I would argue there was that one scene in E.T., and I'm certain I've said it on the show before, (laughs) where he's lying in the river all pink like a limp dick and disgusting, and nobody Uh wanted that trading card in the 80s. We all gave it away. We all had three of them. We didn't want it. (laughs) And it was the most horrifying thing about the movie. No, I was going to say, like, I still don't recall The Shining. Yeah, it's happening. It's Didn't The Shining just have a plain yellow cover with the words The Shining on it? Yeah. The paperback? I think The you Stand know. 2 was a very simple The paperback. Stand, but, yeah. It, it was, was like, like a black one, I think, and a blue. So maybe to a certain degree, your, your name and your credibility as an author can precede you with the cover and you can go with something a little bit more stoic. Some of these mass market books have such shitty covers. It's like, what are you guys thinking? Like some of the reissues of some of the Stephen King books. I'm like, surely you could have gotten someone to draw that better. I don't even know what's happening. Maybe I just have bad taste. Well, there was was a joke around the Rue Morgue office like probably five, six years ago where it was like every time you got a mass market fiction book, it was either a picture of a partial face, a a spooky house, or like some sort of weapon. So oh, when you yeah. get a lot of them on a weekly basis, it's like they're all like kind of riffing off of each other. Yeah. Is half of a face scarier than a whole face? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but here I've got a here's a, here's the thing. Okay, why it is important to put a cover on your book that somewhat speaks to what is inside. Um, okay, Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door. The original cover they stuck on that, I believe, was a cheerleader. With a skull head. With, with, yeah, with a skull head. <laughs> okay, now, uh, for the, for, if you haven't read The Girl Next stories. Door, it's like one of the most disturbing kind of books uh, based loosely on a real-life uh, crime that occurred in which a teenage girl is, like, tortured by... The uh, the, by the neighbors and both the adults and the children in the neighborhood are complicit in it and it's extremely hard to read and it has a really like really disturbing hard to deal with ending and that is not what you're going to expect when you p- pick up a book with, <laughs> with a cheerleader and a skull head on the cover and I'm just I just wonder how many people were like so traumatized by that because that's like that was like the one of the worst instances of not preparing your oh, reader for yeah. what's inside the cover that I can think of. Well, to a certain point, was it not the after photo? I haven't read the book, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was no. totally uh, irrelevant. 
it. It's on. Yeah, there's not. There's nothing on this. There no skulls. There are no cheerleaders. Jesus, I think I'm gonna have to be in a really good headspace to read that book because it's on the list. But it is. Okay, I think that's gonna wrap up our discussion on book covers for this episode. Up next, Sephra's gonna tell you about where you can catch us in the coming months. The next place you can uh, catch the Horror Writers Association members is at Horrorama on October 15th and 16th in Toronto. Horror Writers Association will have a booth at that event, and I myself, Sephra Jerome, will have my own private booth as well, and look for other members of the Horror Writers Association, either at the booth or with other booths, and we will likely be on a panel as well. Horrorama was great last year. It was the first time that I went to the event, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. There was a lot of uh, music, T-shirts, different types of arts and culture, writing, movies. You've got the panels, the whole deal. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, If you want to hear more from us at Great Lakes Horror Company, you can find us on Twitter at GL Horror Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook at the Great Lakes Horror Company. Until next time, remember, where there's no imagination, there's no horror.